in the recent years there has been a lot of awareness uh, to childbirth education and uh, i mean there are a lot of people advocating about natural birthing but as such do they really understand midwifery is still a question there and even though few people do understand it for them to actually uh, get access to uh, such care is very very difficult so it it becomes possible to a very little number of people to travel across the cities and uh, find the care that they want and even uh, if some people are very uh, very much into it wanting to get that done it goes impossible for them because we don't have much centers we don't have much practitioners who are really practicing midwifery hi my name is augustine colbrook and i'm the principal at midwifery wisdom collective i speak on this podcast about big picture political issues and the future of our profession. Hey y'all, I am Jamara and I'm a midwife. I'm also a birth justice activist. And this season, I am looking forward to sharing stories of black midwives and the communities they serve. Hello, beloved birth community. I'm Angela Love, nurse midwife since 2004, preceptor and mother. I have a home birth practice called Midwife Love and a national telehealth practice called Midwife Rx. My mission is to keep birth choices available and to educate the next generation of midwives for our daughters and grandchildren. Matriarchy Now. I'm Layla Wyatt. I get to share with you the voices of student midwives from across the country and beyond. This season, we focus on those students who just graduated, are about to sit for the NARM, or did yesterday, and we get tips and tricks for you for what happens at the end of the student midwife journey. Well, welcome back to another Midwifery Wisdom podcast. And this one is broadcasting literally around the world. And I am overjoyed to be joined by three of my students in midwifery. And they are all three located in India, in Southern India, um, in different cities. And they have come together and journeyed north to work as volunteers in a tribal hospital. So welcome, Chitna, Deepika, and Ashu. Hi. I'm so glad you guys are here. I'm so glad to share your stories and your work of revolutionizing and revitalizing the ancient art of midwifery in India. And before we get to some incredible stories, including preventing two primary cesareans this week, which I'm just, I can't wait to share these stories with our listeners. But before we get to those stories, um, would you, um, Chetna, first tell us about the state of birth care, the standard, what passes for standard uh, maternity health care in uh, the city you live in? Uh, so the city that I live in is in South India. It's Bangalore. And uh, uh, it's it's one of the uh, cities which has uh, a good standard of living in terms of the urban population. Of course, we do have uh, very huge pockets of people from lower socioeconomic um, backgrounds. But uh, the, the people who can afford uh, care, maternity care, uh, 
afford uh, usually go to obstetrics okay so the the main care provider uh, you know in bangalore would be a doctor right and would be an ob and um, uh, midwifery is absolutely like very few people know about midwifery so uh, there's a big dearth of um, midwives uh, in fact there's it's just me right now in bangalore um, though there are a few uh, nurses who are trained in midwifery but they're mostly you know um, obstetric nurses with you know doula care uh, and i mean who know doula care so um, in general there is no awareness of midwifery care everyone uh, goes and sees an ob in their pregnancy gets all the standard uh, you know tests whether they need it or not um, i think um, informed decision making doesn't really exist um, in bangalore other than you know the uh, center that we uh, had created uh, which is now closed it is called as a birth home so um, so like four years back when uh, we start when i started on this journey with a few others um, it was to bring about uh, this kind of a model of care to my city because i belong i mean i've grown up and stayed pretty much my whole life in that so um it was um, it was a good model it worked very well and uh, there were a lot of uh, uh, clients who came to us they were very interested very happy with the care we provided um and in that journey i was very fortunate to be able to you know study midwifery hands on uh, and the kind of midwifery especially that i wanted to study so uh, you know of course obviously we have been my preceptor and my teacher so uh, um it's it's been a real honor to work with you thank um, you it's literally uh, it's the yeah. exact same to me it feels like such an honor <laughs> and um that's how of course we got to know each other and we work shoulder to shoulder for at least 2 years in the birth room in the prenatal room and um i have to say that i have a pretty good poker face but the stories that families told on our couch in their interview process or in in trying to hire us of their previous births like i couldn't help but my mouth would fall open because the reasons for intervention right. are so ludicrous so tell us a little bit about um the the types of care they receive in the hospital and some of those kind of situations we heard about yeah so the the clients that we served were mainly uh, from well to do backgrounds so they had access to the uh, you know what I like to call us a five-star hospitals, where you know you have literally a very fancy birth suite that's provided to you. Uh, but in the name of uh, safety and providing good care, uh, you know everyone goes through a whole series of interventions. Uh, so typically, we've heard stories of uh, people being, uh, you know, the membrane being swept at thirty-seven, thirty-eight, thirty-nine weeks. Uh, you know, and if uh, and and typically because of the lack of awareness and you know the knowledge of what to expect in labor most women end up going to the hospital in the first sign of any cramping contraction that they feel and uh I, you know what i've learned from you augustine is that in us and other places around the world someone would someone with this kind of a symptom picture would be sent back home 
right and has to come and real labor starts with uh you know in in the hospitals in bangalore many of them are admitted and uh, they induced and typically the inductions are they go on for 3 to 6 hours and um, after that they are either section for uh, you know lack of progress or feeling distressed because i mean i've i've also worked in a hospital setting after my birth center closed down the last three months so i know that you know there's no proper feeding one thing actually being done even the best of the hospitals uh so their section for feeling distressed uh and their uh, whether it's actually you know we we all know for a fact that you know continuous monitoring Um, you know, leads to um, increase in uh, C sections for fetal distress, right? So uh, that's that's the other reason we've heard. We've got like such high rates of C sections in some of the hospitals. They have like upwards of seventy percent. Uh, some even have ninety percent C section rates, which uh, you know. So it's it's a really long battle we have to fight. Fight, and you know, apart from the high rates of C section, I think. you know also the obstetric violence um, that is so prevalent um, uh, and uh, that that's quite mind boggling actually and uh, it, and i have been witness to it um, since i started working in hospitals uh, in the last few months and uh, that uh, you know has made me even more determined uh, that medicine definitely answer for us and we really have to make a dent somewhere in the system oh You are so right. I yeah, I'll never forget sitting across from someone and um I was like, "But why did you have a cesarean?" <laughs> She was like, "Because um the cord was around the baby's neck." And I was like, "So your baby's head came out and then they took you for a cesarean?" She was like, "Oh, no, no, no. I was never in labor. They just saw it on the ultrasound." And I mean, American listeners will understand that like that literally makes no sense because a third of all the babies are born with a cord around their neck and it's it's not even a complication we don't even consider it a worry you just unloop it right so it it's um it's a it was a real a real eye opening experience being there and it wasn't just one or two occurrences like that is a standard red flag for obstetric uh care in india they see they think they see meconium in the fluid on an ultrasound they think they see the cord around the neck and they take you right for cesarean at 37 or 38 weeks which just like literally makes no sense and then there's tons of erroneous diagnoses of iagr and tons of diagnoses of fetal distress which um like you said they aren't even really actually monitoring so it was a real eye opening experience and um that 50 to 70% cesarean rate in the city where we worked was was prevalent because our vback requests you know our families who called us and wanted to have vbacks with us made up a good 30 to 50% of our clientele wouldn't you say yeah that's right and like that's how many women have had cesareans yes. is like literally half of them it was crazy yeah we we had stories of unfavorable services and for you know 40 39 40 weeks which is you know for a climate very likely that you know the cervix is still not start to change at that point right and, uh, right and if if at all uh, they go in with prong and they have uh, you know next stage fluid leaking uh, they are taken right uh, to the operation theater because um, um, there is zero tolerance for meconium in the uh, fluid so i think 
uh, you know, it's really a culture of fear that's there in so many places. I mean, even, uh, I know I'm jumping topics, but even here right now, the current work I'm doing is, you know, uh, those same kind of myths and non-evidence-based practices are still very much entrenched in the whole country's uh, obstetric and medical practices. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's it is definitely fear-based, and there isn't a lot of critical thinking. I would say I got to work very limited with a few doctors, um, including an OB backup, and um, I would express this like series of critical thinking steps in my mind to them. And they would be like, I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> and it was just, it was amazing to me that they, it's so formulaic. There's just not a lot of, of critical thinking or individualized care, anything like that. Um, and of course, uh, we didn't mention this, but I think um, it's important to say that one of the reasons you felt so compelled to bring this care to your city is that you got to experiencing it yourself, birthing in the U.S. at a birth center in Texas, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and so you got exposed to it in your own experience. And even though your birth wasn't particularly straightforward, you still got to experience midwifery care. And I think that made all the difference. Um, I want to go to Dr. Ashu now. Um, and Ashu, you live in a different city in Southern India. Um, is it the same? Is what we're describing happening the same in the city where you're from? Uh, hi, yes, I would say it's more or less the same, uh, except from the part that in the recent years, there has been a lot of awareness uh, to childbirth education. And uh, I mean, there are a lot of people advocating about natural birthing, but as such, do they really understand midwifery is still a question there. And even though few people do understand it, for them to actually uh, get access to uh, such care is very, very difficult. So it, it becomes possible to a very little number of people to travel across the cities and uh, find the care that they want. And even, uh, if some people are very, uh, very much into it, wanting to get that done, it goes impossible for them because we don't have much centers, we don't have much practitioners who are really practicing midwifery. And I don't think Waimatur still has a full-blown midwifery center yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's lots of, lots of ideas in the works, but yeah, nothing exists yet. And when it does, yes. I'm certain you will be happy to work in that field in your own hometown. But as it was, you traveled to Bangalore to work with us. Can you tell us a little bit, like, why did you do that? Because I mean, for people that don't know, it's like a six or eight hour uh, difference in, in driving. Yes. And it's, yes. um, it's a different state of the country. It's um, a different, you know, every, everything's different environment. And you picked up, moved to a new city, and started working for basically nothing since <laughs> you were in a practice. <laughs> Tell us about why you made that choice. Okay. So when I was doing my uh, college, like when I was doing my undergraduation, I had postings in the OB department, like obstetrics, in the government hospital. So when I got into that, I saw how births were being done, how harsh people were. And I just wanted to imagine myself at that point. Like, uh, I asked myself, would I be okay if this is the type of care that I would be getting when I birth? It was definitely a no-no. Then I uh, explored how private setups work and it there was not much of a difference. It was more like the private setups were much posh than the government setups, but the 
model of care was more or less the same thing and when i started exploring uh, about how this works like is there any other way of conducting births are there any other uh, type of uh, learning that we could do and that is when i came across midwifery initially i just understood it to be natural birthing water birthing but later when i started reading more i understood what midwifery is like on a basic level and then when i started searching for centers who uh, work under the model of midwifery i found a very very few centers in india and i tried reaching out to all of them uh, fortunately i just landed up at the birth home i got a call from you guys and uh, i somehow felt that i'm going to learn something from there and i just wanted to learn that was the only thing in my mind i just wanted uh, to understand how this works and i thought uh, like i should have somewhere to start and i felt uh, some kind of a vibe in there and i came in but after coming in uh, i i attended my first birth in some 3 or 4 days after joining in without any idea about how this natural birthing completely works or how midwifery model of care completely works so when i jumped in and i saw how complications were beautifully managed and still the mother was given uh freedom to stay as what she wants still uh, the mother was being heard the husband was let in and he was completely uh, on the loop with the care and i was like it, it it all looked very different but it all made a lot of sense so i decided like i should continue to learn at some point i should be able to take this care to uh, people that i could like even if i could help five people with such a kind of birthing then that makes a lot more sense right so that is something which made me stick to the birth home and yeah it it was a beautiful experience to stay there and learn from you especially like Augustine I would say like that critical thinking part even that you were speaking about in the beginning I think I saw that much of critical thinking only with you I've never mm. seen that with any other doctors in and around as well so most of the times they go by the scans like ultrasound reports that they get they say like there's a cord around the neck we are going to take you, take you in for a C section there's very less EFI AFI when they have like 6 uh, or 7 or 8 there's very less afi we are going to take you in for a c section there's a lot more silly reasons that they say in the that they see in the usg and they just pull people into c section so that is when i realized the power of critical thinking how you could use your critical thinking uh, to avoid unnecessary interventions mm, that's so exciting and i thank you for that feedback Um and I think people don't know this but you already have trained in a profession. Tell us what you did in your schooling. Okay. So I am basically a naturopathic physician. Uh so naturopathy works uh more on the basis of holistic and preventive care. So uh when I chose this field because actually I wanted to be a surgeon. but uh, later when i had someone who was pursuing naturopathy and practicing naturopathy uh, so my dad was very very interested in this field but i always wanted to be a surgeon when we had talks uh, going on around this and all of that i someday realized that there are a lot of people who uh, would do a surgery and who would do uh that surgery to save lives but there's very few number of people who speak about post surgical complications who speak about how uh you could prevent yourself from getting into surgery i thought that is something uh that needs more of people so that is when i decided to get into naturopathy uh naturopathy to me uh is to put it in simple words i would say it's more uh 
like addressing your uh, problems your health problems as a person more, rather than as just the symptom so we address it from the root cause and uh, we get you to understand how your body works what your body needs how you could uh, get your body out of the sufferings that's happening so it's basically like you be the guiding light and the patient turns out to be his or her own doctor so natural mm. midwifery model of care is more in line with naturopathy i would say like we do the same thing in uh, births here but uh, the little difference i would say is that uh, like it is pertaining more towards only births and well women care we do treat all the other things in naturopathy that is the only little difference it's so beautiful it's it's literally so exciting <laughs> thank you yeah. so much for sharing um i have more questions for you because i know that you just caught your first baby this week so we can't wait to hear that story but let me bring deepika into the conversation really quickly deepika you live in yet another city in southern india and i just want to stay at this sort of like systemic level for a second before we go into your work um is the same happening in your region is there is there any access to natural care tell us about what you know um yeah it's it's pretty much the same in the town that i live in uh, i'm from tirupati andhra pradesh and um, yeah um there is a lot, lack of understanding um when it comes to uh, healthcare uh, in general and uh, the awareness uh, in regards to what happens around childbirth is also very less i feel and um, more most of the times although the women coming in uh, for uh, uh, birth um, although they are requesting the doctor to have a normal labor they do not know what they can do in order to try and have a normal labor and uh, they don't get proper advice the system is somehow uh, not focusing on educating the mother towards uh, preparing herself Uh, for, to have a normal birth is what i feel and uh, this lack of awareness sometimes uh, makes uh, providing care very uh, difficult uh, i had to do a lot of uh, research when i was pregnant with my uh, first child and at that time i realized uh, there isn't anything called as midwifery care at all uh, around where i stay it's either the traditional uh, midwives in telugu we say mantrasani so it's like the the real traditional midwives where they are not uh, trained as such but they have this uh, knowledge from uh, ancestors uh, but there is a lot of uh, fear uh, surrounding that uh, kind of care and it's not yet uh, accepted in urban uh, cities and uh, my the place that i live in is a town it's like an urban uh, suburb so it's very prevalent the dai care is still very prevalent in the rural areas so suburb is like uh, it's between an urban town and a rural uh, place so people's mindset in this uh, area is more like they have um, advice coming in from two contrasting uh, directions uh, there are uh, these modern hospitals coming up sprouting uh, here and there around this town and they promote the medical uh, ways like ultrasounds blood tests and then uh making treatment plans based on uh, those findings and then they have their uh, mother-in-laws and mothers at home who have births uh, under a dai not uh, not two or three decades back so they have those kind of advice coming in from the home 
and i see lot of women being confused mm-hmm. so uh, i had an induced labor uh, which was not very happy for me and uh, my research led to finding a birth center in india uh, where i had my second baby and when i came back to my hometown uh, everybody were asking me what is natural birth why, why, how is it different from normal birth so that's when i realized uh, normal birth is different from natural birth and uh, that is an understanding that not many people have uh, wow. so that that was one thing that uh, made me feel that people need to have uh, access to this kind of care and uh, we need to have more birth centers coming up more midwifery care in india than that actually exists and that's what led me to you know finding uh, coming onto this path wow And then you did come on and came and joined us and we got to do what is it 10 or so births before I left India? How many did we Yeah, have? we did 10 births at birth home. Yeah. And those yeah, were 10. your first births that you attended besides your own. Um yeah. what what was it like for you? Uh to be honest I was very determined to start a birth center before uh, I came to birth home because I felt the need was uh, uh, there uh, many people approached me uh, to find out about my own birth experience so um I wanted to test waters when I came to birth home see how it how it works out how how I should get trained to be a midwife and uh, what is required to do in order to start birth center but uh, once i came in i realized there's a lot more learning to be done and uh, it's going to take a while until you are at a point where you can start a birth center on your own and uh, it was a good learning experience yeah. uh, and i'm i'm glad i could do it under you uh, yeah it was it was beautiful learning from you uh, it was beautiful to see how um, chetna and her partners were doing uh, so it was, it was all a very nice uh, learning experience yeah so you came on as a as a green <laughs> student and um ashu moved her way through um what we call junior student uh stage and chetna was a senior student and we worked together mm-hmm. for a number of months together um and then right as as the whole thing was closing all of you kind of moved to the next level um and so mm-hmm. chetna graduated and ashu became ready to do primary under supervisions and deepika you are now a super skilled assistant in the birth space and then we didn't have any births because we were closed and um chetna was able to research an opportunity for you all to continue your education so chetna will you tell me about where you are now and and what what you're doing uh so we are uh, in central india it's a place called as uh, chatisgarh that's a state and um, we are in a remote uh, village uh, called as ganyari it's it's become more of a town now uh, since this hospital which is called as jan swasthya sayog uh, it came um, it's been around for at least uh, 20 years if not more and um, we are um, um, so so i contacted them uh, way back in uh, january itself uh, just as birth home was closing down because i was looking for options where you know my uh, skills 
and my experience uh, could be of use. And uh, this was one of the places that came to my mind because I'd visited uh, this hospital way back in 2018. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I knew that, uh, you know, the skills that we all have uh, in this team uh, would be, you know, of really, uh, you know, put to really good use over here. And also, um, I think it's a great opportunity to be in a high volume center because uh, the, at the birth home it was, uh, we were practicing uh, midwifery care. Uh, typically that is practiced in the US with continuity of care and it was a low volume, low risk setting. So, um, so either way, uh, you know, everything, all factors taken into consideration, I approached them and um, they, uh, you know, were very welcoming and, um, we made plans um, to come later in the year uh, when things are more settled, you know, uh, on my personal front. And, uh, uh, you know, when I asked Ashu and Deepika, you know, I was, I was so thrilled when, you know, without a second thought, both of them said yes. Um, it was not something I was expecting at all. Uh, and I think it just shows the commitment that both of them have towards midwifery and towards studying uh, further and learning more. Um, uh, so, so I'm, and I think, you know, uh, I'm really glad after being here for a week now, I'm really glad that we came here as a team because I've, we are able to show the, um, the staff here, uh, which works in maternity care, uh, how we would generally work, uh, uh, you know, in, in a midwifery uh, setup, in midwifery model of care. Uh, and it's uh, been very, very fascinating to watch the entire staff as well working. I think there's a, been a lot of exchange, uh, even in the, you know, last five days that we've been uh, in the labor ward here. Uh, there's been so much of exchange of information, of stories, of, uh, you know, experiences, and uh, it's, it's been absolute, uh, you know, uh, a pleasure, I would say, you know, to be a part of this setup here. Oh, it's so exciting. And um, I got to because we've been in close contact and I love you guys and I love hearing all of the reports <laughs> you guys have been telling me some of the things and I got to hear about um, this opportunity, which you took to prevent two primary cesareans, will you tell us a little bit about what that ha what happened and what that took? Yeah, I would I would love to talk about it because um, I think uh, it's you know I just posted about it this morning, uh, calling it a huge win. Uh, rather last night I posted about it just as as I was falling asleep. Um, uh, so typically, uh, you know, while the uh, goal of uh, the hospital is to, uh, you know, reduce their overall C-section rates, uh, they do, however, have uh, certain um, indicators for referring people to primary C-sections. Um, so one of the uh, one of the reasons that uh, it's also done is because the staff here is uh, pretty much overworked and they don't have enough number of people uh, to do proper monitoring uh, someone you know who needs to be induced uh, would require and also uh, the other fact is that um, uh, they uh, i mean it's it's still that um, you know um, decision making that comes from mainstream obstetrics where you know if there are xyz conditions present you 
you know, a C-section would be much safer for both mother and baby. So I think with that intention, uh, both these cases were going to be referred to the surgery um, uh, department over here for C-sections. So here C-sections are not uh, done by obstetricians, they are done by general surgeons uh, and surgical residents. So yeah, the first case was very interesting. Uh, is uh, something that I haven't really seen very often, uh, you know, in my experience with the birth home and, you know, working in Bangalore, even in the hospital. Uh, there was a mother from a very remote village who was actually got in the uh, hospital um, jeep uh, from the village over here because uh, she was having, uh, she was showing signs and symptoms of uh, starting preeclampsia. So they didn't want her to uh, be in a remote place. So they got her uh, overnight and they had her admitted in the emergency ward because there was no space in the labor room for her or the labor ward rather for her. So uh, uh, she was there overnight in the emergency and uh, she was given uh, BP uh, meds, meds to reduce her uh, blood pressure. Uh, she had pitting edema. Um, she uh, didn't seem to have any other symptoms, but also uh, if you, uh, there is a little bit of a communication gap between us in terms of the language barrier. So uh, even if we were to ask her other symptoms like headaches and blurry vision, she would just keep saying yes. Uh, when she would say yes, basically for everything that we asked her. Do you have a fever? Yes. Do you have uh, uh, pain in your lower abdomen? Yes. So she would basically, uh, I, I think the, the, the tribal folks here also live in a lot of isolations. So they are very much cut off from uh, mainstream or even the uh, folks who live in the surrounding villages and towns. So they don't have the same kind of uh, interactions that we are used to. Um, so, so she was she was definitely scared. It was a very new environment for her. Uh, she had some symptoms of preeclampsia, but her uh, but thankfully her uh, CMP came normal. Uh, we uh, she didn't have any information about her LMP. She didn't know, uh, you know, when she conceived this baby. Uh, and uh, when we did a fundal height measurement for her in the clinic, uh, she was measuring thirty centimeters, while uh, the ultrasound scan that she went for the previous day uh, showed uh, that the baby was uh, about 35 weeks gestational age. And uh, then after probing her husband quite a bit, he said that she stopped uh, having her period at around uh, September of last year which meant that uh, she was, uh, you know, due uh, around this time. Um, the, so because she was measuring, uh, you know, low um, uh, for dates and she was also, um, you know, we, we had very little information about her health status in terms of her own symptom picture, her own, relate, uh, you know, being able to relate to us, uh, convey to us what, you know, is happening uh, with her. Uh, we decided to go ahead with an induction. So typically this kind of uh, uh, a patient would have been referred for a direct primary C-section. But uh, since I, I was talking to the obstetrician who comes here in the, um, you know, um, the clinic, she comes, she attends only the clinic and doesn't uh, typically uh, attend the births. So she uh, she's a retired obstetrician. So that's why she does only a part of the work. 
Um, so she said that since you guys are here, would you be able to, you know, carry on a proper induction? So I said, yes, why not, you know? Uh, and of course, Augustine, we did have a quick consult on that. And um, um, you, you definitely uh, recommended, you know, trying induction and giving her chance at, you know, normal birth um, before going in for a direct C-section, right? Or if then required, if the baby didn't tolerate labor uh, for any reason, then we could have gone in for a C-section. Exactly. So we um, induced her. So she needed some cervical ripening. So uh, they, of course, have Foley catheter here, bulb Foley's. So we uh, used that to ripen her cervix. And then we put her on a, a low dose, micro dosing of uh, Pitocin. And... Um, she was, uh, uh, we, uh, so one of the senior staff nurse here uh, broke her waters. Um, but she was she was contracting pretty beautifully, like after we put the uh, Foley in. But uh, when you would ask her if she's feeling any pain at all, like there was no, there was no uh, reaction on her face. Okay, so we would ask her, are you having any kind of sensation? She would say yes. Uh, then we didn't know whether her yes was an actual yes or no, uh, because she she herself looked very confused. She's like, why are these people asking me all these questions? What what exactly do they want me to say? You know, it was almost like I will say whatever you want me to say, right? Mm -hmm. So. Um, so that is uh, that's how exactly uh, it kind of unfolded. Uh, so we kind of tried to uh, monitor her contractions on and off because we had uh, two other mothers laboring at the same time. So since we were three of us, we tried to uh, do our level best in making sure all of them got, uh, you know, the, the care according to the protocols that we are used to, you know, FHTs every 30 minutes and soap every four hours and so on. Uh, uh, so then, uh, yeah, so, so as I said, you know, uh, the, her bulb fully fell out and then uh, she was put on Pitocin and then uh, the, the head nurse over here, she came and she did, uh, she broke her bag of waters and um, um, she was at that point having a little bit of bleeding. It was fresh bleeding, which was actually trickling down her legs. Uh, uh, but then the head nurse said that uh, she nicked her cervix. So I'm guessing that uh, her cervix was nicked when the AROM was being done. So she she had, uh, so the baby sounded fine throughout. There were no concerns about the baby. So we just kept going on. Uh, and um, uh, sometime in the evening uh, yesterday, she uh, had, she was, she just didn't want to lie down on the bed anymore. Uh, she wanted to stand. And uh, I knew at that point that she was pushing. And um, we just encouraged her to, you know, just go with the sensations, however best we could communicate with her. And um, uh, she kept saying that she had to go to the bathroom to pass tools, but uh, we were uh, unsure whether we could allow her to, you know, go there because we didn't want the births to be happening in the toilet. Um, she was not very happy when I tried to, uh, you know, give her an internal exam uh, because again, it was very difficult to take consent as well from her. I did inform her. I used to always, uh, we as as you know, uh, we've studied in midwifery. We always take consent, but uh, even 
you know her figuring out the whole consent like what are we asking what 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 do we want of her she she wasn't able to really figure that out so uh, when i when i tried to do a vaginal exam she just wanted my hand so i knew she didn't want me to touch her so i was hands off for most part uh, but then there were other signs that you know she was uh, you know the baby was moving down her pelvis uh, uh, she uh, she did have a lot of pressure in her back and she uh, did have a bit of a bowel movement and um, and then at uh, she was standing for this entire time uh and uh, she would go into a half squat or sometimes a deep squat when the contractions were there and then um, at, at some point i started seeing the baby uh, baby's head uh, at the vaginal opening and uh, we were trying to listen to the baby but uh, the baby was so low uh, we weren't able to get proper heart tones and uh, um, ashu was ashwatika was on the baby and she was trying to uh, get some heart tones and we were getting heart tones in the 60s so we were trying to say ask her to move on to the bed so that we could listen to the baby better um, but then even the so we kind of suggested it to her in a way she could understand she moved to the bed herself she said she wanted to get onto the bed so we got her onto the bed and the baby was born in the next contraction so uh, there was very little perineal support that was uh, given by me at that point and uh, we we managed uh, deepika did an amazing job of uh, you know managing to tell her uh, to you know push very slowly as the head emerged uh, so we were able to prevent a perineal tear um, and uh, we i mean i don't think we should take the onus really uh, she didn't have a perineal tear because she did so beautifully and um, there were some uh, labial lacerations um, which uh, was only off to one side uh, so we didn't have to do any sort of repair uh, it would heal naturally uh, the baby uh, after birth was just doing uh, as fine as uh, you know one could do at that point it died that's amazing and uh, you know the abgars were quite good yeah and the baby is symmetric uh, took you know breathed right away did all the things a newborn does um so uh, i th i think you know it was a very uh, fulfilling uh, experience as far as us being providers go um and uh, the staff of course over here because the surgeon uh you know the surgical resident who was supposed to do the c section kept coming in and checking on us every once in a while and you would say no there's still some more time and everything is going on fine so let us just keep doing this for some more time uh then finally when he came and he saw that the baby was born he said he was he was very appreciative he said that i didn't know that this kind of a thing would even happen uh that this would work i was very doubtful but now you know i don't doubt you guys at all anymore wow. so wow um, that was very nice to hear that <laughs> that's yeah. amazing so and the difference was... the difference in potential outcomes is what is like so important like a major abdominal surgery in a rural hospital on someone who lives in a tribal village compared to a vaginal birth with no tear those are radically different realities for that person yeah totally i would i would definitely agree with that and i mean uh, just the just the fact that you know she doesn't have to go home with you know stitches on her abdomen uh, and you know then we don't have to really now worry about you know the multiple children she may end up having you know potentially end up having because most of the women here have at least two uh, some even have like you know upwards of 
four, five, six as well. So, so really, uh, I think, you know, we've given her, uh, again, I, I don't think that's the right statement to make. I think, you know, the way things unfolded, um, uh, she's had, she's now got the best, uh, chance. Uh, you know, well, she did the work to birth her baby, of course, yeah. but the, the, yeah. the, the circle of protection that you three provided, um, literally with a surgeon hovering <laughs> is what's exceptional. Like that's what's <laughs> ex- worth celebrating. Yeah. Um, and, and I think yeah. for sure she would have had a different outcome. I mean, I was there with the doctors in the background kind of yelling at you. Like, I, I get that she would have had a very different background, uh, or, or reality life right. future if you guys had not stepped in and, and it make it kind of boggles the mind to think of how many women, not only just in that region, but in all of India, in all of Asia and in all of the world who are faced with such a different reality, simply because there's no one to protect their space. This is why midwifery is so important. Even a certain percentage will go on and need surgical intervention, but they're still being protected and supported by midwifery. I mean, it's just exceptional. And there was another woman that, that you also helped prevent a primary cesarean. Will you quickly tell that story? Sure. So uh, this woman, uh, she was posted, she was 41 plus three, and um, uh, she had an AFI of 3.2. Uh, so the doctor, again, uh, would have referred her to the surgeon, uh, but for the fact that we were there. So she said, would you induce her as well? So um so we again did the whole um, similar protocol that we followed with her. She needed cervical ripening. So we did the bulk pole. It fell out within a few hours, uh, five hours or so after inserting it. And um, uh, we did start her on pitocin, but she seemed to have a sort of a little bit of a dysfunctional pattern. She was a little more uh, communicative with us. She was from the nearby town. So she was a very determined mother. Uh, she wanted to have this baby normally and naturally as not, I mean, we weren't really in the realm of natural because it was an induction, but she definitely wanted a vaginal birth. So she was walking uh, up and down the labor ward, which is not very big. Um, uh, so Deepika uh, suggested a few exercises that she could do to, you know, help make more space in her pelvis. And uh, she was doing them on and off. Um, and, uh, uh, she, she, however, I mean, there were times in her labor where we felt that the contractions were not strong enough with correlation to the amount of pitocin that she was getting. And uh, uh, sometime towards the evening when we did, an, a, did a vaginal exam, she was about seven centimeters dilated. Uh, but then she had been at that, um, that same level of dilation for, uh, you know, many hours. So at that point, uh, I spoke with the OB and uh, there's another drug which is available here, which is uh, anti-spasmodic and it's called uh, dotaverin. And um, that's uh, that's something that I had learned about in, uh, you know, uh, in one of the births I did in the hospital in Bangalore. And I learned that they have, they carry the same medication here and do use it uh, for mothers who have uh, sort of a dysfunctional pattern or a stalled labor. Uh, so, so once that was administered, um, uh, she was pushing within an hour and her baby was born uh, quite soon. So 
Amazing. Uh, so Amazing. It, yeah, so she again, uh, this was actually, uh, you know, Ashu's uh, second birth. Uh, as primary under supervision. So uh, uh, we were doing a four-handed catch. Uh, she was uh, she was definitely doing a beautiful job of, uh, you know, uh, doing, offering the perineal support, which the mother uh, definitely appreciated. And um, uh, uh, so, however, you know, as the head emerged, uh, it restituted. So, so most of the labors that I've attended, uh, what I have noticed is that the, uh, when the uh, head emerges OA, it usually restitutes to the mother's right. This baby mm-hmm. restituted to the mother's left. Okay. Mm. So that was very interesting to watch. And uh, and then uh, we were trying to tell her that, you know, she can push. She doesn't have to now, you know, uh, you know, those flow grunty pushes anymore because the head is out she could just push her baby out with all the force she could master but uh, there were uh, her you know support people from her uh, home and you know other people I think there were just too many people yelling different things at her and she just got so confused that uh, she almost just gave up at that point and she didn't want to put any maternal effort in getting her baby out um and uh, I thought, you know, we could give her some time, but then the baby's head was born white in color, right? The skin was white, pale white. And then I slowly started to see that it was turning brown. Uh, but I, I kind of, I think I was uh, having a trauma response of freeze at that point. Uh, but uh, uh, Deepika, who was standing next to me, said that the baby is grimacing. But what I actually heard was the baby is turning gray. And that just sprung me into action. <laughs> ah, the virtual and... communication faux pas. <laughs> I think and, you understood uh, something random that I said once. That's, that's pretty funny. Yes. Yeah. So, so then, uh, so then I just jumped into action and I was uh, trying to uh, reach for uh, the anterior shoulder. I was trying to move the mom, but I started, you know, I started switching to talking in English, which the mom doesn't understand at all. Uh, And, uh, uh, and then uh, that wasn't when I realized that's just not going to work. I asked the senior staff nurse there to wear her gloves. Uh, By the time she was yelling at me to tug on the baby's head and I knew that was one thing I wouldn't do um, and then I try uh, I was looking for the anterior shoulders to see if it was actually stuck right because shoulder dystocia was what came into my mind at that point of time uh, and, but then I couldn't really reach for the anterior shoulder either but I could put my hand in and reach for the posterior shoulder and I put two fingers I looped it just below the posterior uh, shoulder the hand and I just uh, tugged on that uh, by the time the the nurse was there she also had worn gloves and she was tugging on the head uh, but either way within a few seconds the baby was born but I think those were uh, the longest seconds of my life um, I my heart was racing um, I asked Ashu at some point to apply suprapubic pressure and then I was thinking oh my gosh does Ashu even know what suprapubic pressure means and all those things you know it was just a very short period of time but you know so many thoughts were racing through my mind at that time and uh, and then once the baby was born uh, it was the baby was a little limp but uh, recovered beautifully uh, you know at five minutes the apgar was 10 so uh, I think, uh, you know, retrospectively, uh, when I keep replaying the whole scenario in my mind, uh, and we have discussed multiple times as well, Ashu, Deepika, and me, uh, I think it is uh, a case of, uh, you know, 
where the mother just gave up because she was so confused and she just probably was so also done with everyone telling her what to do uh, you know and yeah. um, uh, i think that yeah. that was what happened i, I don't think it was shoulder dystocia but at the same time when there is a prolonged pause with darkening of the head you can't assume that it's not shoulder dystocia in the moment so exactly. In- exactly. interventions definitely appropriate well this brings me perfectly to my next kind of conversation point and that is this really amazing transformation of um you as you know junior student with me and then progressing to senior student primary under supervision catching your last, um, you know, primary under supervision catch, um, doing some births on your own with, with other people and other providers. And now um, within six months, stepping into the preceptor role, <laughs> such an amazing, <laughs> such an amazing journey. Yeah. Um, you know, midwifery has that adage, see one, do one, teach one, and you are following that perfectly. Um, uh, what is it like to, to be in the teacher role all of a sudden? I mean, uh, we, we don't have uh, teachers here, right? Like we don't have midwives to follow. Uh, we do have a lot of uh, traditional midwives, but I think the, the education uh, and the learning that they have is very different from the education and learning that we have. All the birth, you know, is the same wherever it happens. Uh, I think uh, I don't feel completely ready to be in the preceptor role, but I also know how important it is uh, uh, to sort of uh, be able to provide as much support as I can for both uh, Ashu, who's Ashwatika, I like to call her Ashu, and uh, also Deepika, uh, because, uh, you know, the only well, that's way exactly it. is to- What I mean is there's yeah. no one else to do it, right? Yeah, there's no one else um, to do it. And so, yeah. so that's why you're in this role. Um, and yes. I guess, regardless of, of how you got there, uh, what does it feel like? Um, share some expressions from your first week of really being the only one that has the highest knowledge in the room and supervising new people. What does that feel like? Uh, so it's it's overwhelming at times. At times it comes very naturally. Uh, at times uh, it feels like a big responsibility on my shoulder. Uh, definitely scary many of the times because uh you know uh i i have to think through for myself all the steps that's happening you know especially uh when we are doing through any any decision making point uh, either in the labor or the birth i take some time even now to think through all those steps that need to be so that you know i'm not missing anything right uh, and and you've said this like a million times, midwifery is like the hardest job on the planet. There's so many data points that you need to keep in your hand, head. And uh, we are also not just, you know, I'm also not just uh, trying to be a preceptor, being a preceptor for uh, Deepika and Ashu, but also, uh, you know, I am... Uh, I'm trying to uh, adapt to a new work environment here. I'm trying to adapt to a high volume center. Um, so so uh, it's, it, it does get, you know, um, very overwhelming at times. Like it's just too much for me to uh, keep at it. Uh, but then uh, also because uh, Ashu and Deepika are, you know, such amazing folks and we have a relationship uh, 
you know, before this, and we've worked together in the birth room, and uh, we have certain systems already in place. Uh, I think it's also in many ways easier to sort of step into that role. And uh, it was only after, uh, you know, I was with uh, Ashu in the first uh, family under supervision birth um, uh, that I realized that I really need to spell it out to her that being an assistant and being family under supervision are two different roles. So what I, I try to do is I try to think back to when I was a new primary under supervision uh, student and uh, uh, try to recollect what you would tell uh, you know me, and then try and say the same thing to Ashu. Uh, so uh, that uh, I've got that like a, think... I've got like a mama bear chuckle. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that I think I think has worked uh, to some extent, and there, there has been a sort of like uh, because I'm I'm in a supervisory kind of a role here. I. I, uh, I think I have assumed a certain amount of uh, authority, although I try to be as humble as possible. Uh, sometimes I don't end up being uh, that humble. I'm just human. So I have apologized to both uh, Deepika and Ashu multiple times and I've said that, you know, just give me a lot of grace, just give me a lot of space. And, you know, there are going to be tensions. And, you know, Augustine, I was just telling them about this whole thing you tell us about being teenage midwives. And I think Ashu is a total <laughs> Right, <laughs> well, let me just say for the record, you were one too for a while. So I know, <laughs> what, I know what goes around comes around. So it's great. Yeah. So, so I get to be on the other side of things yep. right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, that's I think amazing. That, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Going, going forward, I think, uh, you know, we, we'll figure out more things, you know, as we work together. Uh, I, I think it's a great, great learning opportunity with me, uh, for, for all of us. And, uh, uh, you know, we just we just have to plow through and we're all dedicated to, uh, you know, doing this and uh, possibly, yeah. you know, coming here, uh, um, you know, frequently, as frequently as possible to see how we can move our learning along. So do you feel really like... Do you feel like the 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 nurses that have been staffing yeah. that clinic before you arrived? Do you feel like they are also learning from you? Definitely, yeah. So so the they have a nursing college attached to the hospital. So a lot of the nursing students, I think, uh, you know, catch them young, as the saying goes. Uh -huh. I have been actually talking more to them. Uh, of course, there are some of the senior staff, that's the more experienced staff, who have also been uh, very open to, you know, learning our protocol. And then we, we have this very meaningful exchange about, yes, what would you do in this situation? So it's it's a really collaborative sort of a, uh, environment, uh, whereas some other, uh, you know, senior nurses, because they work in shift systems, so there's a different team every eight hours. So there, mm -hmm. there's some other nurses who are a little like either suspicious or they're like wondering why are these people, what are they doing here? And, uh, they mm -hmm. have that, you know, those thoughts going on in the back of their mind. But then I think uh, we have been doing some relationship building around, you know, building some trust and uh, trying to work in a collaborative environment and also, you know, giving them the respect that's due because they have actually 
you know um, been at mobats than i have so uh, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that that's there but uh, so like the uh, the foley induction or the uh, the cervical ragnar the bulk foley that we do uh, that's something that has not been done for many years it used to be done some few years back but for the last few years it hasn't been done here so that definitely is something that they were keen to sort of learn and uh-huh. uh, it was nice when i was talking to the senior uh, staff nurse there like we were just i was just talking her through what i was doing when i was doing it so mm-hmm. uh, she was very appreciative of the whole process mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. uh, they have certain practices which are quite astounding uh, where they use a lot of betadine they they call it cleaning the womb after birth where uh, you know the they use betadine soaked gauzes uh, uh, to sort of uh, remove all the clots and the bleeding and everything from the uterus they want to clean basically the the uterine lining uh, which is a practice that's there throughout india in any obstetric model of care uh, so it was being done in bangalore so the the standard uh, you know response when we ask why are you doing this is that uh, you know we are preventing postpartum hemorrhage um wow. uh, but you know we know it's not an evidence based practice and uh, it's it's very very painful for the women to having to go through it uh, in fact uh, uh, the last couple of births where the inductions happened yesterday uh, we managed to advocate and uh, prevent that from happening to a large extent <laughs> but also wow. it was interesting that the that one of the moms asked for it to be done she's like aren't you going to clean everything uh and like uh, you know that's really not required the body takes care of itself but then um you know the, that was opportunity enough for the seniors to jump into action and start doing it and um, i was like okay if the mother wants it and the mother gets it wow. but, uh, she, but she, she i mean again i can see going... good yeah Yeah no I I can see that shift in their practices a little bit like I it makes them think you know when I'm saying like, right. we don't use betadine when they cut the cord clamp to clean the cord stump we don't use the betadine to do that there's no need i mean it's been it's as uh, as pure or as clean as it can be right so well it's just so amazing right i mean first of all to 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 disinfect instruments they have to sit in betadine for 12 hours So with right. that as knowledge dumping betadine on any body part does not disinfect or sterilize it in any way it just smears bacteria around so this concept of taking gauze dumping betadine on it and then pushing it through the bacterial rich environment of the vagina up into the uterus is literally doing the opposite <laughs> it's like increasing the risk of infection exponentially and disrupting the lining of the uterus doesn't help it bleed less you know like that's a clot that's formed at the site of a placenta disrupting that clot doesn't help it bleed less so it's it's so it's, it's ludicrous really yeah yeah so they they asked me to take some training for the nursing staff on postpartum hemorrhage so i i think i just need to go down to the basics of how the uterus functions after it is empty i'll send you my uh, slide show if it'll be helpful i'll, I'll send you lovely. my my hemorrhage slide show yeah. yeah wow that's just so yeah. much so much to unlearn um so amazing that you are there providing a different perspective and hopefully bringing the whole practice up to this more evidence based standard 
Well, I want to go quickly to um, your teammates. My guess is that that Deepika and Ashu um, followed you like lovingly and excitedly into the wild blue yonder, as as Deepika said, the true Jungle Book. Um, they did that because um, they really trust you and they want to learn for, with, and from you. Um, is that true, guys? Deepika, Ashu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. You, you you knew that you were going to be there learning from from Chitna, um, and that there wasn't going to be a quote unquote senior preceptor there. But you still went happily um, because she's amassed a tremendous amount of knowledge in the last bunch of years, um, and it, and even though she's a new preceptor, you're still learning a lot, right? Yeah, that's true. There's always something we could learn. How about you, Ashu? Yes. Actually, I would say, like, sometimes before when we decided to come in here, Shetna had few circumstances where uh, she said she might return back. So we were really confused if we should continue on the trip or we should say no and later go with Shetna full time. We were looking up so much to come in with Shetna. Yeah, because it, even it, like there's there's so much you could learn. And honestly, even if each of you were there by yourself, you would learn. But um, even one who has gone before just a few births more, you learn from them. Yes. Even someone who's just your colleague, you learn from them. And I think this is the brilliance of midwifery the world over. We can always learn something from each other, regardless of what level we're at. Well, Ashu, I would love to get your description of what it was like uh, to catch your first baby. You've been observing, you've been assisting, you've been handing all kinds of equipment and supplies, you've been a part of heart tones, you've been a part of resuscitations, but you've never had your hands right there for the birth. Um, and you messaged me later birth is so different when your hands are in the vagina. So tell us. <laughs> Tell us what that was like. <laughs> okay. So uh, I was very, very excited to have uh, a catch, like to uh, do my first birth. But uh, when it came, when the time came, it also made me a lot nervous. I did a four-handed catch with Chetna. So uh, when the, it, the, my first birth was a multiple mom, uh, so she was doing it on all, all on, she was doing all on her own. Like she had that instinct, like, uh, like I had to push now, I had to rest now. She was quite very instinctive and things were happening and progressing very faster. And I was there. So the first birth, uh, I was more into uh, like, and one more thing was that it was like three days before this first birth or two days before this first birth. I also did my uh, on a pregnant woman. I've done a few vaginal examinations, but nothing on a pregnant woman. I'd always had track of you people doing a vaginal examination, coming out, telling your findings and what it looks like and all of that. I've heard so many things and I've had my own imagination and visualization. But when I did my first examination, I felt like, oh, is it that's is it is it is it that all but then i uh, understood <laughs> with the next examinations no it is not all it like every examination you feel things very differently so with uh -huh. her i did my 
फर्स्ट फिंगर फोर्सेप्स एज वेल लाइक आई वॉज ट्राइंग टू डू दैट चेतना गाइडिंग मी इन देर and then uh, when when we see birds from far like when i just stand out when i do charting when i uh, be on the baby it's very different it it will be like oh when will this mom push out just push the baby out it's so long it's so long that keeps running in my mind but when i was ha- having my hands on the perineum and i was just trying to guide them push uh, keeping my fingers in the vagina i felt like oh please go slow please go slow i could feel your perineum stretching under my hands please don't do that <laughs> i was having this constantly running back in my mind and it was just uh, as soon as the head slowly came out i was like okay will the baby come doing next it just started eventually popping up in my mind like continuously wow. back to back so since she was a multiple it just uh, the baby just slipped slided uh, slided out and everything was fine the baby was doing fine the mother was doing fine it was like a more happy birth and then uh, when i st- had the next birth with again with chetna uh, i wanted to do a forehand forehanded catch yet so uh, this baby this mom was a prime rib and this was the mom that chetna was talking about where the baby's head came out and then the baby got stuck so uh at that moment i really didn't know what i should be doing uh, so what it, chetna told me that give uh, give the supra pelvic pressure i got what it was i was doing that but still the baby was inside and chetna was trying to pull out and one hand was on the top of the pubis and i was trying to give pressure 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 there and uh the other hand i was just trying to make way by putting my hands inside her vagina and pulling out the tissues i didn't even know if it was right or wrong and then chetna was like stop doing that then i was like i took my hands off i was like some of baby please come out but the baby came out then then i was uh, but the baby was very uh, like the baby did recover very easily the baby uh, got back to its form the baby got all better and that was a little like scaring like you always say you think like you know all of it but then you go to a birth and understand that you know nothing it was like that uh, yes. so it, yeah it was a great experience but then as i said i think i need much many more vaginas to become a good midwife uh, <laughs> i think we're going to make that t-shirt i need more vaginas <laughs> to be a better midwife <laughs> yes Well, Ashu, I'm so proud of you. It's so it's so exciting what you're able to do and I can't wait to work shoulder to shoulder with you all three of you again. I'm a little bit jealous that you're all there doing births and I'm not there. But um I miss you but, so much too. I uh, know I miss you guys, but I also feel like as we talked many months ago when this was becoming a plan is that In Bangalore, it, I do not provide culturally matched care, but in where you are, it's even more extreme and it really wouldn't be the right place for me to be. And I know that even even you guys in your own country feel like you're not culturally matched. Um yes, yeah. absolutely. Like sometimes yeah. when we do something and when we say something, uh like Deepika and Chetna mentioned it's like very rural and they're all uh, people from the tribal community. uh they are not okay with even talking things they don't want to let us know what they feel uh when we do a vaginal examination and when we ask them for consent they just close their eyes and oh, it means wow. that you can do whatever you want you want and i don't care they are much more into that conditioning and it's very different here it's it's not uh 
as what we saw in Bangalore, or it's not as what I see in Coimbatore. It's very, very, very different in here. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, to once again, Doctor Sreen, I just wanted yeah, to ahead. give a slightly different perspective because uh, today I did a, a cervical massage for a, a client who is forty for a for a mom who is forty plus three. Uh, they wanted to induce her today, but then uh, I advocated, you know, because everything was fine with her and the baby. I advocated that we wait for a few more days, and uh, uh, you know, we uh, we didn't really take her. Consent for uh, you know a membrane strip. But I was doing it. I was explaining to her what I was doing and all of that. And then she had heightened sensations as I was uh, you know massaging the cervix. Um, I asked her if she wanted me to stop, and this mom was saying yes, stop. So she was communicating with me, and this is the first instance because what Asha said is exactly how it has been unfolding the past few days, where uh, there is no concept of cons- uh, consent, and uh, everyone comes, walks through the door of the labor ward, thinking that they just have to submit to whatever is going to be done to them, right? Uh, wow. But this was the first time that I was able to break through that barrier, and uh, that mom was also, you know, on board to, you know, working back and giving me some feedback that, you know. This is too much for me. Just stop. Uh, and then I would wait for a while and ask her if it was okay to continue, or if I had to wait for some more time. So uh, uh, both uh, Ashu and Deepika weren't around at that time. Uh, they went elsewhere, but uh, but then uh, you know uh, again the head nurse was there. Uh, the head staff nurse at that point she was there right next to me and. Uh, uh, she was. Uh, she had a smile on her face because, uh, you know, for them it feels very, very out of place. This kind of care that we provide. Uh, so, so I think it's making them think as well. And uh, for this particular uh, 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 mother, when she hopefully comes in labor uh, sometime, you know, down the line, uh, she'll probably be expecting this kind of care, right? Wow. So uh, yeah. that that was today's experience actually. Yeah. Wow, and it's and and that head nurse getting to watch you give what is actual humanistic, compassionate consent, where you can say you can tell me to stop, and I will respect that. That is life changing. Yeah. I mean, that's breaking yeah. down the patriarchal lines of communication that is drilled into, frankly, yeah. everyone in and India as a result of the colonialism. History. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and also, uh, before any vagina exam, all of us uh, do tell them that, you know, this is my touch, just like how we've learned it all these years. That, yeah. you know, this is my touch. I'm entering your vagina and you'll feel some pressure. And of course, there are times when I don't say every, all of it, but then we definitely, you know, warn them before uh, we, you know, enter the vagina so that, you know, it's yeah. not a shock. Yeah. Well, I hope that I hope that those senior nurses watching you will, will will be able to adopt that policy of being respectful of the people they're working with. I mean, I would say if of all the things that we want to solve, like the unnecessary cesareans and the obstetric abuse and the lack of education and all the things that we we've identified that need to be solved in India, I feel like this could potentially have the biggest effect is just putting the power and the sovereignty back on the person whose body it's happening in and, and respecting, asking permission, respecting and and accepting their no. Um, And even empowering them to know that they have a no, you know, Hmm. that, that could be the most profound effect of the work that you're doing there. Yeah. I hope so. 
I'm so impressed with all of you. Deepika, did you, uh, I heard you speak up a little bit ago. Did you have something to add? No, I was, I was just trying to give my perspective of how the, these women think. It's more yeah. like, uh, there's no point saying no, uh, because you would anyways not uh, listen to me. You would oh. do what you want to do, is kind of the thought. So yeah. they don't even try to protest. Wow. And that's like, like Ashu said, that's like that training that they have received or that, um, that expectation they have of going to the doctor is that they won't yeah, the be heard or respected. Provider comfort rather than the patient comfort. Right, right. And that, of course, is the major difference between midwifery care and obstetric care. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I am so inspired by you three. Um, it's literally the honor of my life <laughs> to be one of your teachers. And makes me teary. <laughs> I can't wait to get back and be with you all. I miss you. I love you. We all yeah, love you too, Augustine. Yeah. Thank you for chatting with our audience. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your magic. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for it. having us on your podcast yep yeah on the path love you love augustine you i was thinking uh to hell with the initial phase i'm gonna catch a few babies before i leave okay sure because <laughs> 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 fast forwarding her profession i love it yeah, yeah. these two keep bloating every day yeah yeah, like there is no tomorrow. Uh, you can do it. I believe in you. I believe in all of you. It's so awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for um, being willing to be vulnerable and tell stories and history and realities that you guys are in. I know in some ways it's so common that it's like normalized a bit, but um, it's not normal. What the the struggles that all of these women have to go through is not right and you really are making a difference. And I think our audience will, will really be moved by what you're doing. Be prepared to get messages from people saying they want to come work with you. <laughs> Most welcome. Yeah. Yeah, yep. we would love that. Yeah. Well, take good care, you guys. I love you so much. Um, and I'll be Thank back you. at the end of the year. Bye, friends. Waiting for that. Bye. Yeah, take care. Bye, Augustine.